Well, good morning. I'm very honored to be with you all today. I've had the privilege of meeting several of you already uh, this morning with great delight. I've appreciated the energy in this room uh, this morning. That's been really special uh, to me and uh, the brightness in this in this uh, f- worship center. I, uh, I get to a lot of uh, a lot of different kind of churches uh, in my work. More about that in a moment. But what's uh, uh, interesting to me is a lot of churches I go into. They've been around a long time, and and their 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 sanctuary is dark. They're very dark, and uh, because they've been that way for a long, long time. But I love the brightness in this room that brings joy to my heart. We celebrate the Lord. Thank you for the great music today. Appreciate your calling us to the Lord in worship today. That was just really special uh, to me as well. I learned a new song today, of which I was unfamiliar, but I appreciate that. But uh, but I'm honored to be here today. I've really appreciated fellowship with with Pastor John, Pastor Gary, and others of your leaders here over the last, I guess, nearly a year now. We've been fellowshipping together and enjoying uh, one another. And uh, so I've appreciated the chance to hear their hearts. I love their passion for the Lord and his work. And uh, we're all better together, right? We're all better together. I think God wired us that way. I think he made us that way. So I rejoice that uh, we're here together as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Um, I did retire from the convention several years ago. Uh, My former boss says I failed at retirement. Uh, didn't do that very well. I uh, was retired for several weeks and, and began to talk with the convention people about what are we doing with churches that are in transition, churches that are in decline many times, and they're trying to figure out what do we do now. We've never been here before. And I said to them, I think God is calling me to serve for the Lord, churches just like that in that kind of a context. And I'm grateful for the privilege I've had for several years now to do just that and help churches to think about what's next. I don't tell churches what to do. I share pathways. I encourage them. I can share some how-to once a pathway is chosen. But I want you to know I'm not here today to tell anybody what to do, okay? I'm simply your servant today. Now, I've been asked today uh, to do something that I've never done before. I've been asked to preach. I've been asked to lead a seminar, share the several different pathways churches looking at each other might choose, as well as five stages of marriage. And I'm going to do all that in about 20 minutes. Now, our God is a God of miracles. <laughs> and, and I'm grateful to him, him for that. Uh, but anyway, we're going to have a good time together, okay? Worshiping the Lord together. Thank you for the reading of the scripture uh, this morning. You've already heard that reading from Joshua chapter 1. I, I so appreciate that. I begin with a question today. Uh, what are you looking forward to this coming week? What are you looking forward to this coming week. For some of you, it may be something uh, that's a great blessing forthcoming this week. Uh, For Brother Gary, it's continuing to rejoice over the fact that he's beginning to feel better, having been under the weather, I understand, this week. Some of you may be facing significant challenges forthcoming this week. But I want to share with you today as we think about what what we might be facing, um, that God is never surprised. Our God is never surprised. As a matter of fact, 
I believe our God is preparing the way for you and for me. And he has a way of putting the puzzle pieces of our lives together. Things we've experienced in our past. He's teaching us. He's leading us to move forward to what is next, next step for each of us. I will go on to say, I believe the me I see is the me I'll be. The me I see is the me I'll be. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever you're thinking about, uh, that's going to have a great deal to do with who you're becoming this week or what God might be doing through you this coming week. We heard the scripture reading this morning, thank you for that, from Joshua chapter 1, when God was speaking. God was speaking to this man named Joshua. And he says something that I think is very striking and very interesting. So I want to share with you four brief things about, about the Lord. The first thing that I see here today is God is with us in uncertain times. What we see in Joshua chapter 1 here that we heard a moment ago that's on your screen, what we understand is, is that God is coming, is coming to Joshua and he says, he opens up just really candid. He says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now he didn't say he kicked the bucket. He didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry to have to tell you. I mean, he didn't smooth this over at all. He was just pretty blunt and says, he's dead. Moses is gone. It's time for a fresh start and a new beginning. And guess what? You're up. You've been Moses' assistant all this time, all of these years. But what he is saying to you is, what I'm saying to you is God is saying is, you're next, you're up. Don't want you to take time to spend a lot of time looking at the past right now. Right now, I want you to think about the fact that I'm calling you. I am assigning you to lead all of these people to what, what I have in store for them in this land of promise they're about, they're about to enter. You see, God is with us in our uncertain times. No doubt it was a great time of uncertainty. I mean, their leader is gone. We're talking about Moses. Mo Moses who, 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 who led them through the plagues that set them free from bondage in Egypt. We're talking about a Moses who, who led them to find food in the desert, in the wilderness. We're talking about, uh, about, about Moses, how he, he guided them as God guided them to find water when they were thirsty in the deserts. We're talking about this, this man who had just overwhelming influence uh, upon so many. Now, we're not talking about 250 people here, friends. No, we're not talking about 100,000 people. It's my understanding it was roughly 2.5 million people. 2.5 million people that God is saying to Joshua, you're it. You're up. Come follow me. But you know, three times in this one chapter, we see, we see God saying the same thing. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. What's God saying? It's the end of one era here, but there is the beginning of a new era that's about to begin. Indeed, there were blessings ahead on the other side, on the other side of that Jordan River. I don't know what you may be facing today, what a tough time might be for you. I want to assure you, though, is that God is with you in uncertain times. I found that true. I think it's really important for those here today who, who may be a relatively new Christian. 
But we have others around in our churches that have been saved for seven years or 10 years or 40 years. We need to hear people who've experienced the comfort of God, the presence of God in their lives as they have faced uncertain times. We need to hear those testimonies as praise to God. Because you see, that builds confidence in other people, doesn't it? When we hear the God stories of his presence, his involvement, his activity, God is with us in uncertain times. I see something else here, though. Uh, over in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, we'll look at next. Uh, you know, uh, by context, over uh, many years later, after these 2.5 million people crossed that Jordan River on dry ground, as God guided, as led, as led by Joshua, uh, over in the book of Ezra, we see many years later, uh, the temple, the temple that was built, that Solomon built, um, had been torn down. It, uh, they had been conquered. They've been conquered by the Babylonians. They have been transported 500 miles, the people, to a different place. Uh, but God had not forgotten them. And many years later, a number of years later, a small remnant of that group were allowed by, by the Edict of Cyrus from Persia, because they had, they had overtaken uh, Babylon. They were permitted to go back to Jerusalem, this remnant, to rebuild the temple that had been torn down in that time of their being conquered. And when they got back, they went to work, and they began to rebuild this, this new temple we see something very interesting in Ezra 3. We won't turn there in the interest of time, but here, here, here's the story, here's the context. What happened was, when they began to rebuild that new foundation of, the, this, of this new refurbished temple, shall we say, in Jerusalem, it was very interesting. The Bible says in Ezra 3 that some were so excited and, and they were joyful and they were, they were praising the Lord wonderfully and they were loud. But there were others there who were weeping and wailing because they were disappointed. This is the same group of people, and the Bible says you couldn't tell the difference in them. They were both, they were both loud, both groups, they were very loud. But what do we see? What do we see happening here? In this very same place, you had people who were excited, who did not know about the temple of yesteryear. And then you have those who are saddened because the foundation of this new temple didn't look like the splendor of the old temple. Same group, different perspectives. But God sent a prophet named Haggai, and that's what we see here in this passage. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But he goes on to say in verse 9, But the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. Point number two, God has a preferred future for you. God has a preferred future for you. So many of the churches that I visit today that have been in decline, they tend to be so focused on the past. And we're going to talk about the importance of the past in a moment. But you know what? You can be so focused on the past that you fail to appreciate and enjoy what God's doing in the present and in the future. Have you ever thought about the fact, I had a long drive here today. Have you ever thought about the fact why in your vehicle there is a small mirror up to your center right that's called a rear view mirror? Have you ever thought about the fact how small that little rascal is? But yet how big that windshield is? There's a special reason for that. 
the difference in the size. And some folks can be so focused on something in the past that they fail to see what God might be doing in the present and in the future. But God has a preferred future for each of us. For you personally, for you as church or churches, God has a preferred future that he has in mind, that he has in store, and he's getting you and me ready for what's next. I believe whatever we go through in our lives, God is always getting us ready for what's next. We say over and over again in God's Word. And we're helping each other. We're standing on each other's shoulders. We have a church uh, that I've worked with a little bit. Uh, not a whole lot. I invited him to speak for a conference I had. And uh, it's a, it was a new church plant that they needed a place to be. And there was a group of wonderful people that had a big building, massive building, and they didn't have very many people. And they said, you know, why don't y'all come and, and share space here? And they did that. But that new young church planner was so smart. And he coined a phrase that they used over and over and over again. Here's the phrase. We are standing on your shoulders. We are standing on your shoulders. They wanted those folks in that existing church who were primarily elderly people, they wanted them to know we're standing on your shoulders. You've been here longer. You have great experiences with the Lord. You have such a wonderful facility with which we've been blessed. We have no facility. But you know what? God is at work in our church as well. But I want you to know, remember, we're standing on your shoulders. You know, we need shoulders to stand on, do we not? I was thinking about a gentleman on the way here. I need to, I need to give him a call. He lives in Florida now. He used to work for me. And uh, he's, he's in his 90s. He's an expert in church planting. I was thinking back this morning what a blessing he has been in my life. I am standing on his shoulders today. I'm here today because of the way God used him to influence my life. Number two, God has preferred a preferred future for us. Number three, quickly, God values your history. God values your history. You see, history is to be valued. It's not to be pushed aside. History is important. Matter of fact, this entire Bible we have here, it's a, it's a story. It's a story of God. It is a history. And history is to be valued, not to be, not to be discarded. It's very interesting, as these 2.5 million spent 29 days, going roughly 29 days, uh, going through that Jordan River on dry ground, uh, God told Joshua to have, them, have the people do something. He says, I want a leader from each of the tribes, and as you go through that water, I want you to pick up a stone. I want you to pick up a stone, and I want you to make a monument on the other side. And here we see in Joshua chapter 4 the purpose of those stones. He said, Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, talking about those 12 stones, he piled them up. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. And you know what a kid would say? Do what? Tell me more about that. What, what does that mean? What an opportunity to, 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 to just praise God for a rich history. You see, history is to be valued. It's not to be discarded. We have a, a church not too far from here, northwest. And I uh, visited with them. I've worked with them some, a uh, smaller church. And they have a room in their building, uh, their church building, called a legacy room. And what do they do in that legacy room? They put memorabilia from the past 
I don't remember seeing any stones in there, but they have a lot of other things in that room that are very special to those folks who've been there a long, a long, long time. Have a church in Asheville I've worked with. They have a, a room in the back, and on that wall in the room in the back, they have photographs of special memories that those folks have of the work of God and the life of their church in days past. You see, history is not to be discarded. History is to be, to be valued. Here's a quote I have for you. History. History is to be lived out, but it is not to be lived in. History is to be lived out, but it is not to be lived in. You see, in order to grow, you have to let go. In order to grow, you have to let go. And some of us have a tendency to get stuck in our past, and it's difficult to move forward. It's difficult to, to grow. But you see, as we said earlier, God has a special preferred future in store for you and for me. And finally, number four, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Did God have a plan for Israel when Moses died? Absolutely. He already had the next leader already chosen. God always keeps his promises. And I want to assure you today that God is not done with your church. Whether you're Reedy Creek, whether you're rooted, God is not done with your church. God is using your church for his honor and his glory. How he will do that, we can have a conversation about that and we'll in a moment and the rest of rest of early afternoon with those who will be here for the Q&A time. But God has a future, but he always keeps his promises. You know what Jesus said? He says, I will build my church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And we have the greatest challenges in, in churches when they see the church as their own, when they see the church as their own, as opposed to God's church. And, I, you know, some people just, it, it's, it's really sad. We can get so locked into facilities as if we do own them. And then we have de debates I hate to use the word fights. Some of them have become fights. And really, we're not fighting about doctrine or who Jesus is or the authority of the Word of God. You know what we're talking about, those conflicts so many times? It's just preferences. We all have preferences. But you know what? Our God is a God who goes before us. He's guiding us, and he's providing for us. What does the Scriptures have to say? Joshua 1.3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. You see, there's a great promise there. The promise of God for a land of blessing. He was promising to his children, crossing that Jordan River. Land flowing with milk and honey. We've, we've heard it referred to and read about it in God's word in the past. And, it, you know, we won't take time to do it, but you went over to the very, very end of the book of Joshua, chapter 23. There's a reminder over there. At the end of Joshua's life, he was reminded that God has had fulfilled everything he had promised. And he was communicating that to the people, to the people there. God will communicate. And God will reveal himself through all that he says, but all that he does to do everything that he promised you that he would do. What does that have to say to us as congregations today? Let me see if I can transition to a seminar now. That's the basis of God's Word. Let me share with you just three different 
uh, perspectives. Number one, did you know that every church has a life cycle? Every church does. Those churches we read about in the book of Acts, they had a life cycle. Every church has one. A church begins at birth and there's a, a, a brand new church works upon uh, uh, outreach opportunities and, and um, op, uh, opportunities for different, different strategies to move forward. Uh, churches work on uh, processes and systems and welcoming area and, and uh, just all the different activities a church might do to impact the community with the gospel. And as the years go by, more and more, more of those opportunities and policies are formulated. As a church goes through a growth cycle, there's birth and there's growth. And, and the church continues to make changes and do things so it will grow and be able to move forward for that preferred future that we talked about a moment ago. It's an exciting time. Now, this church was started, I've got it somewhere, I think in 1881. Does that sound right, Brother John? Uh, any of you here, any of you here then? Didn't think so. 1881, that's a long time ago. But you know what? I would love to be a fly on the wall through all those years watching God work and hearing what God did through those many years of the rich history that's a part of this church. But a church has a season of incline, gets up to the top, sometimes called stability, sometimes called maturity. But bottom line, a church gets up to the top and there's great rejoicing taking place, praising the Lord, encouraging each other. And here's the thought, here's what, here's what tends to be the thought. Boy, God is showing us his favor. Don't change anything. This is good. This is great. Don't change anything. But you know and I know the greatest enemy of success is success. And when a church begins to feel they've got this whole thing figured out, what they fail to remember is that the context all around them continues to change. And if a church doesn't continue to change and continue to redream the dream regularly, then that church begins a season of decline. That season of de decline begins a lot of times with what we call nostalgia. A church spends a lot of time with people, uh, rather than talk about what the future might look like, the churches, the people begin to talk about, well, I remember when. I remember back. And they begin to tell the most wonderful, wonderful stories. And they have a lot of stories to tell. Because many of them have been around a long time. They're wonderful, wonderful stories. And that's good. We want to share those stories. But if that becomes our focus, then we're trying to drive down Interstate 40 looking in the rearview mirror. That does not work very well. So I crash on the way here, I'm sorry to say this morning. There's nostalgia and then there's questioning. Well, who's in charge of this anyway? Who decided we do that? Uh, why are we still doing that like that? And people begin to ask questions. And then what we call polarization takes place. Uh, people begin to say, well, you know, that group over there, they decided this. And, you know, this, these, that, that group over there, they decided so and so. And, and, and there's polarization. Uh, there's a dichotomy that takes place in the church. And, and, and God is not glorified in that kind of division in a church. It's it really sad. I think it breaks the heart of God. When those kind of things occur, a church goes into a season of decline, continuing to go down because the focus tends to change from being fishers of men in the community to taking care of what we've already got, taking care of what we already have. And God is not glorified in that. And we cease to be the fishers of men that he's called us to be. And then our church moves to a season of, of 
of death. It begins to die. Brother John, I had a call not long ago from a church, not in this part of the state, another part of the state. And they called me. They had uh, three people left, John. Three people left. And I'm sorry to say that week, one of those three passed away. Went on to be with the Lord. I wish they called me so much earlier. They did not. And I, I sought to encourage them as best I could. But wouldn't it have been great if, if those people 10 years before had all gotten together and says, I wonder what God wants to do next. And that leads me to my next slide because I want to share with you some pathways. Here are six possibilities, six possibilities of what a church might think about if it's in decline. Number one is what we call internal revitalization. That's where a church has the horses in the stable, shall we say, has the energy, has the volunteers, the wherewithal. You know what? We can turn this thing around. Let's really get focused on God and what he wants for the future and understanding the fish and the pond in which he's put us to fish. Let's move forward and let's seek help of others. And let's see how we can move forward to reach our community with the gospel. That's internal revitalization. It works. And about 30% of those who try it, 30%. What about the other 70%? Next slide. The other and second pathway is what we call church fostering. In church fostering, that's where a church says, you know what, we, we really need some help. And, you know, there's some very healthy, growing churches in our area. And within 30 minutes, I wonder if one of them would come and help us. Well, they come and help us in some of these areas we're weak in. Those areas that are chosen, you can choose no more than three. They're typically uh, worship, uh, children's ministry, and outreach. Those are the three primary areas. But it, it, it's limited to no more than three things you focus on. And that church agrees to come in and assist for a specific period of time. Typically, it's 12 months, sometimes 6, sometimes 18, but the target is 12 months. So they'll come in, and during that 12 months, uh, the, the, the church who's seeking assistance, they're willing to be fostered, uh, they're willing to have conversation. They'll say, you know, we're willing to do things just like they tell us to do it for 12 months. After that 12 months, the church will go back to whatever it wants to do. But anyway, it's a time of equipping during that time. The third pathway, not only church fostering, the third one we see is shared space. I'm so proud of Reedy Creek Baptist Church because that's what you have done, not only, I think, with one group, but also with two groups at least that I'm aware of. I want to commend you for that. What great stewardship of the facilities that God has given to you. Thank you for that. I believe God smiles when a church says, this is not ours, it's his, let's use it for his glory. Let's allow other people to come and use this space as well. We have one church in the triad part of the state. They have four different congregations meeting in their facility. It's four different, different congregations meeting their facility. And their sanctuary is about the same size as yours. Very, very close. Shared space. Number next. Church marriage. We used to call it church merger, but that sounds pretty bureaucratic, pretty business-oriented. So we changed it to church marriage because we talking about church fostering a moment ago. Church marriage is another pathway. Well, that's where two churches come together to become one. Um, it's a process that one goes through. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The studies show this. If you have two churches that are struggling and they try to become one, the research shows that does not tend to work out very well. Because both churches have DNA issues, shall we say. Could say more about that. But also two healthy churches 
If two very healthy churches, growing churches, tried to come together and become one church, the research shows that doesn't tend to work very well. Do you know why? Because each of those churches believe God has shown them his favor and they figured out the right way to do church. Only challenge is they're in a different context and right's a little different over here from what right is over here. Are you with me? That doesn't tend to work. But when you have a church that, that has growth, has young people typically, you have that church compared and, and considering uh, merging with a church that's different that may be a little older, uh, that's when we are finding the most successful church marriages, church mergers. Average time takes about seven months. We used to say eight, the research showed that, but it looks like now it takes about a seven, at least a seven month process for a church to go through where a church marriage can work. How do we do that? Uh, I tend to work with leaders of the church on helping a church to identify their values and their non-negotiables. What's really important around here? But then secondly, what are deal breakers around here? What are deal breakers? What are, what are the non-negotiables? And each church gets that document together, and then the church uh, approves it or affirms it, and they get together, and they begin to talk through those things, really getting, getting to know each other. We're about that in a moment, but that's church marriage. And then uh, uh, the next to last one is church adoption. And church adoption, that's where a church says, you know what? Uh, we've had a great journey in that congregational life cycle, but we're ready for a healthy, growing church to come in and adopt us. We talked about fostering earlier, didn't we? Now we're talking about adoption. They'll come in and adopt us, and we'll just give ourselves over to their leadership and their guidance, and we'll do church their way. God has shown them his favor. Uh, they may send volunteers. Uh, they may send lots of kids. Whatever they want to do. But bottom line, they're, a, they're, they're in charge. That's the bottom line. They're in charge. And we want to pray for them, encourage them, bless them, and move forward. That's church adoption. Then last of all, there is church replant, sometimes called restart. That's where a church gives its property over to the local association or to a network uh, or directly to a new church plant saying, you know what, we've been through the life cycle. God has given us this property. It's really not ours, it's his. You take it and you use it for his honor and his glory. We have a church in Greensboro. A property was given to the local association. They put not one but two brand new churches in that facility. Wonderful thing. One meeting in the morning, one meeting in the afternoon. And that has been a real, real blessing. So, I've been asked to speak a moment about church marriage. So, in conclusion, let me share with you the five stages of church marriage five stages. I'm not going to read all of this, okay? Uh, you can get it from your pastors, but stage one, expiration. Expiration stage. We're asking the question, is it even possible for us to talk about getting married? Would our congregation be better by merging? Can we accomplish more together than separate? Would our community be better served if we joined together? Could the kingdom of God be further enlarged if we, if we did this together, if we, if we joined together? A good word for this, a lot of young people here, I love all the young people here, dating is a good way to describe this stage. This is the, I love those smiles. It's the dating stage. Step number two. Step number two is what we call negotiation. Negotiation. We ask them the question now, is this really feasible? Can we really do this? The best merger possibilities occur where there is an 80% DNA match. Have 25 uh, distinct issues a church can work through and think through to make sure, yep, 
We're in sync. This is a good courtship. First stage was dating. This one is courting. Because when you're courting, you're focused on basically one person, right? Um, more about that in a moment. But here's the, here's the God check, the last question on there, last two. Is there a profound sense that God is in this decision to merge, to become one? Is there a sense that if we don't, we're being disobedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? I'd be happy to tell you some stories about that if you're interested. Number three, <clears throat> declaration. One to two months where we ask, is this really desirable? It's just like an engagement announcement. Just like an engagement announcement announcement. Uh, we call this the engagement stage. We started with dating, we went to courtship, and then and then we went to an engagement. Frequently, frequently. Many times we put together a document of frequently asked questions that people are hearing because we want to make sure everybody fully understands. It's like you're courting somebody. When you're courting somebody, you're really getting to know each other, are we not? And I was in a church about six weeks ago and I asked the question, how many of you didn't really have a courtship, you just eloped? And sure enough, there was one elderly gentleman in the group raised his hand. And it was, it's worked all right for him. They've done very, very well. But that's the exception to the rule. Typically, it takes seven to eight months of, in, uh, of this process of engagement. So we have a, a document of frequently asked questions. We have town hall meetings or center school meetings where everybody gets with the leaders just to ask anything they want to ask. It's really a, really a cool, cool kind of, kind of a time. Number next. Number four is consolidation. This is the wedding. One to three months where we celebrate and say, we did it. We did it. This is the wedding. Notice this is not the marriage. This is the wedding. You can have a wedding without having a marriage. Would you agree with that statement? You can have a wedding without having a marriage because that leads us to number five. It's integration. One to three years. How are we doing? How is this working for us? It takes a long time uh, to work through phrases like yours, mine, to ours. It takes a long time to get to the ours perspective, but this is the real marriage that takes place. Well, how am I doing? It's 12 o'clock. You have time? Well, I, you know, I, I've got a while. I can stay a while. Um, I, uh, I am going to stay for a few minutes and meet with the Reedy Creek folks. I've been requested to do that, happy to do that. Uh, but I wanted you to hear biblical foundation for this whole process, to talk about the different stages, uh, different processes, different pathways from which a church might choose, but also these five stages of a church marriage, if that's what you feel God wants you to do. What's most important is not what I want, it's not what Pastor Gary wants, not what Pastor John wants, it's what, a God, what does God want to do? It's ultimately His church anyway. Let me pray with you before we conclude. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing with these sweet people. Thank you for the good fellowship we all enjoy together uh, this morning. Father, I pray for wisdom. Help us to see everything from the perspective of your son Jesus and what your preferred plan is, the preferred future for this church, that church, these churches together. If that's your will, Father, we just want your will to be done. So thank you for being our God, a God who is present and a God who guides. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.